Greetings, traveller of the audio landscape, and welcome to this hallowed law zone. I am Lawkeeper Mikan, master of the miscellaneous. My role is to guide people through the prickly parts of the queer Dungeoneers universe. To be crystal clear, by the by, I am not a fictional character in the world of queer Dungeoneers. Nay, I am a member of the real world, serving as your oracle to the sticky and tricky facets of this podcast. Today I will be elucidating issues of the gods. So let's dip a finger into my font of knowledge and see what residue remains. Any worthy discussion of the gods must begin with the separation. Thousands of years ago, during a time of endless and unbearable conflict, a line was drawn in the sand between all that was mortal and all that was not. Those doomed to death, the mere mud puppies of the cosmic order, were sheltered in the land of the mortal folk a central mass of earth at the base of the great cosmos. The divine were driven out, forced back into the halls of the gods, an outer ring of land surrounding the mortal folk. And between the two, an impenetrable wall of glowing energy was erected, known as the barrier. Well, might you ask, how did this happen? and there is no answer I can provide. In a time of strife, all the peoples of the land united under a common purpose, and fundamentally changed the world in but a few short weeks. In the annals of history, such a peace is unprecedented. Furthermore, how could anyone, even the gods, create a barrier that a god could not in turn tear down. The whole affair reeks of outside intervention. Perhaps you have your theories, as I have mine. Of course, while the gods were physically driven from the land of the mortal folk, their influence was permitted to linger. For each god, an anchor was constructed, an interface between the living and the more than living. One such anchor was the Bell of Buskar, a great metal bell used to wake the lizard god of dreams from his stretching slumbers. It was a mighty artifact, until Nime the druid rent it in twain in pursuit of her lover's life. Now Buskar roams the halls of the gods, broken and diminished, eternally divided from his followers who hear his rumbling snores no longer. Another trio of gods that might draw the inquisitive eye are those nestled in the Isle of Kartos, a remote place long hidden. Three gods chose this land as the domain for their anchors. A great forge was built for Meldus, goddess of invention, who tinkers day in and out with her multitude of arms, tweaking this and trialing that. The nature goddess Tweed, peaceful and pacifist, laid her opulent diamond anchor in the most secluded part of the island, 
But the terrible Kartos, master of the elements in motion, enacted a most devious scheme. His anchor was built on the top of tweeds, cast from pure obsidian, the only substance known to suppress the powers of the gods. In doing so, he trapped her, and rendered her unable to communicate with her followers, but still capable of bestowing boons on Kartos's behalf, advancing the image of this wicked tyrant. He then ordered his loyal servant Samira to destroy Meldus's forge, ensuring that only he would have the secret to the creation of the Klonkwonk a metal device through which a god's will could be performed. Yes, Kartos had claimed such a great deal of power that was not his own, but he was brash and under-evaluated his enemies. With some silent assistance from Tweed, the god-slayer Nimhe the Druid claimed another anchor in her brutal legacy. With the destruction of the nested rock of Kartos, Tweed's influence was restored, and she was able to share her benevolent guidance with the druids of Mistbank, establishing a new religious presence in the realm of the mortal folk. To be sure, though we often speak of gods who have twisted their powers, there are many that serve to better the world as well. For instance, the Goddess of Life has blessed the lands in many kind ways. In times long gone, she created the first mortal folk, and sprinkled them across the lands. She wished them lives of prosperity, but dismayed to see them bicker and fight amongst themselves. To ease relations, she gifted all people with a common language and an innate ability to communicate and gave all animals a shared tongue as well. Then, with the separation imminent, she made a staggering decision. She cast aside godhood, and split herself into dozens of separate forms, all bound together in mind. This way she could live among her creations evermore. She even put her new forms to proper use turning herself into a network of copies placed in major cities, enabling instantaneous communication. To this day, many still call her the goddess, but a goddess she is no longer. She would much prefer to be known as the messenger. Now, there is another wrinkle to this discussion, those which reside in the halls of the gods without being gods themselves. I speak, of course, of devils. The devils reside in the city of the dead, and while there are no anchors dedicated to them, they find wretched, accursed ways to communicate with the living. Rituals and contracts are the tools of the devil's trade, and such a deal rarely ends in a mortal's favour. If you are unfortunate, a devil will claim your soul. Be too reckless, sign the wrong papers, and they may even take your body for their own, twisting you into their apparatus of evil. 
If one were to ask the difference between a god and a devil, a pragmatic answer may be that gods have an anchor, while devils do not. A truer response, though, one that cuts to the quick, would be that all such distinctions are drawn by those with power, and those with something to gain. The Night Court blurs this line most obviously. A collection of devils who have pooled their power to become something approaching a god. Of course, the Night Court has been whiffed out now, betrayed by Nime the Druid. <sighs> I suppose I have dithered long enough without addressing the most burning concern of these dark times. Truth be told, I do not possess sufficient knowledge of death to tell you anything you do not already know. So instead, let us review the facts of this matter. Death first came into the fold of current events when she claimed the hostless clonkwonks left in the wake of Kartos's demise. Since then, it has become clear that she is working to the same end that preoccupied the tyrant nature god. That goal is somehow related to a huge star beast, a sort of space lobster that will crash into Molten Gorge on the first of winter. She has links to the Saturnian Empire, and has used information gathered by them to advance her plans. She has accosted our party in person, and upon her demise she fizzled into the dust of a lich. Ironic is it not, that death would use magic of the kind she despises most. For an avid historian such as myself, these facts are cause for much consternation. How in the world could death, a god, appear in the land of the mortal folk? Is the figure the party met the same one that they have met every time they have had to roll the bones on their fate? Not the real death, but instead some kind of surrogate? Or has Sammy completely defied the law of their own world, stretching the fine threads of verisimilitude long past their breaking point, snapping the cohesion of this tale in two? Only time will tell. For now, take what knowledge I have shared, and use it to enhance your enjoyment of the Queer Dungeoneers podcast to levels previously unreached. And that as they say, is that. Thank you.